0: Hi, I'm Tyler Yules. Welcome to How the Grades Do It. Welcome back to another episode of How the Grades Do It. Super excited. We have Greg Pareto. He is a tech executive with over 25 years' experience spent building and inspiring marketing teams to create and disrupt categories, build brands, and drive growth. As some of the world's most trusted brands, you know know you've heard of them, DocuSign, TripActions, New Relic, Hootsuite, T-Mobile, and SecureFrame. So Greg serves as a full-stack CMO and startup advisor with deep experience in brand positioning and messaging, communications content. Uh, consumer marketing, demand gen, field marketing and events, uh, product and partner marketing and more. And when Greg is not serving as a brand ambassador, uh, customer champion and marketing coach, he can be found traveling the world, most often on a beach. So that was a mouthful, but
1: we love to have you on, Greg, man. Welcome. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, Definitely a mouthful in terms of uh, all the different areas of marketing for sure. For sure.
0: Man, well, we appreciate you jumping on, man. I'd love to understand like what led you to marketing, right? Cause I think it's always fun to hear how people got into the industry and um and really their silo. Cause it's sometimes our silo finds us, maybe not necessarily we finding it.
1: Yeah, I think that was the case for me and at a very young age. Uh I was in high school and faced with the choice of taking an elective course. My dad had been in uh, a sales and marketing executive for his career, and so marketing was one of the elective courses uh, alongside a bunch of different sciences. My brain is not wired for science, and yeah. so I knew, you know, taking deeper biology, chemistry, and and other science courses was not the right path. Uh, but marketing seemed interesting and intriguing, and uh, from that class, I had a phenomenal uh teacher named Sherry Solers who I'm still in touch with today uh I I will uh refrain from mentioning how many years later for both her and my protection <laughs> but years later still in touch with our phenomenal uh teacher who inspired people in her class um to follow their passion and help them find their passion and you know from things like encouraging us to do uh the marketing club uh, the after school club to uh, Managing the student store, I was a buyer for one of the product lines in the student store. Yeah, uh, and and that marketing club she encouraged us to uh, participate in. Initially, admittedly, when when she first told me about it and told the class about it, what I heard was weekend away from your parents with your friends at a hotel. And I'm like, I'm in. Yeah, uh, I'm in for that. But the reality, the reality is, I I do pretty much everything with full force. And so while that was an opportunity to have a good time, I took my responsibilities of you know the the actual competition there seriously. They have you take tests in certain areas of marketing. Then they have you do role plays with CMOS now like myself, uh, yeah. where you engage, you're given a scenario and you have to sort of work through that scenario or build a plan, etc. And, uh, no one was more surprised than me come awards night, the Sunday evening where I took first place across all of the things I competed in. And I remember thinking to myself, one, it was a fun weekend. I had a great time, but also like, it was just sort of natural and common sense and innate to me. I didn't study in advance for it. I didn't rack my brain thinking about it. It all just kind of made sense. And so following that, I went to a university that had a business program with an emphasis in marketing. I did internships in marketing while I was in college. And um, uh, the first role out of college, though, was not in marketing, promised to be in marketing within a year. So that was sort of the start of my career. Yeah, I love that. Right. Like and
0: when I think. You know, so often, right? Like we are looking for to be the fit, right, or not be our authentic self, and say like, "Hey, I'm gonna put my, I'm gonna put myself in this box that I kind of fit into, but I kind of don't." And I love the fact that you found somewhere that you fit as you, yeah, right. And you're like, "Hey, this is my kind of role." And and so so often people don't do that, um, and then leading themselves into a path that they may not be totally happy. And so I love that you were able to have that experience really early on.
1: Yeah. One of the best pieces of advice that I ever received was from my boss, who was the COO at T-Mobile, Sue Noakes. And she said this to everyone, not just to me. She said, find work you love and everything else will take care of itself. The titles, the promotions, the compensation, et cetera. And I'm very fortunate that I that work that I love found me um, and then I was able to pursue it in my career and really advance in it and enjoy it.
0: Yeah. was Were there any kind of like turning points or challenges that maybe uh, shaped the approach?
1: Yeah, there were a couple. Like the first one that I think of isn't wasn't really a, a challenge, but more so a turning point. When I was at T-Mobile, um, that organization under um, Robert Dotson's leadership as CEO and Sue Noakes as COO and a bunch of other uh, folks that were in the C-suite, Really uh, set out on a journey around building an aspiration for the company to be america 's most highly regarded service company and if yeah. you think about two thousand two three ish when this was the wireless uh, industry the wireless industry was not highly regarded it was number <laughs> it was second to last only behind airlines, and their <laughs> aspiration for the company was to not only be the best in the space but to the, be the best across all spaces. And so it was – for me, I learned the power of a really compelling vision for a company and a really sort of big, broad, inspiring vision and how you can use that to engage employees, engage customers, partners, media, analysts, investors on this journey and to be a part of the journey. And I think that was pretty um, pretty uh, impactful for me around just this concept of a compelling vision. And the other yeah. one that comes to mind when I was at TripActions – I joined there like a year before the global pandemic. And for those that don't know, it's now called Navon, but it's a corporate travel and expense management platform. So the year leading up to the um, pandemic, we had a phenomenal product, great product market fit um, and a really compelling corporate narrative positioning and messaging around uh, positioning the traveler to be able to focus on what they needed to accomplish when they got there rather than the process of getting there and having heads and shoulders above the industry in terms of AI and uh, the platform itself and and travel agents that helped you with every step of the way. But the reality was in the space, your customer is is the traveler, but it's also the CFO who signs off on the corporate travel and expense management tool. And in the industry, most CFOs were struggling to get 50% adoption of tools like this in their organization. And because of the way that TripActions was built, we were getting 97% Satisfaction among travelers and 90 to 95% adoption. So it doesn't get much this, better than that. Yeah, visibility for a CFO was phenomenal. Like you knew right. where money was being spent, when it was being spent, and how much. Well, the reality is when the global pandemic trip uh, hit and all travel stopped, delivering the best experience of corporate travel really falls flat. Yeah. And so that in that experience in partnership with sales and in partnership with product, really understanding what was important to the customer with that massive shift in the market. Um yeah. was it was really about uh traveler health and safety and cost control. So if you think about companies had travelers stranded places, they need to get them home. They were also thinking about when we get to a place where we're back to business and traveling again, how can we do that with minimal risk? We don't want an employee traveling and getting sick on our dime or their family member getting sick because of it. And then of course, all the prepaid travel that you do for airlines, they had customers had millions and millions of dollars sitting on the table. So, you know, in partnership with sales and understanding that traveler risk uh, and, and health and safety and cost control over a weekend. I rewrote the corporate narrative, the positioning, the messaging, nurture emails, et cetera. Yeah. And and it was all around the customer, <clears throat> their pain points and how we uniquely solve those with our product market fit. When I joined that company, we had less than 1500 paying customers. When I left about two years later, we had more than 4,000 4,500 in the first 10 months of the pandemic. More than a thousand customers signed up for trip actions, and that speaks to the power of the collaboration between sales and understanding the customer and their needs, in product yeah. and understanding and translating how the actual platform solves those needs, and then marketing being able to bring it to market with compelling positioning and messaging.
0: Absolutely, I mean, what a way to pivot and um and take really a, a sh- I guess a shit, shit shit sandwich, if you will, into really something you know, commendable.
1: I mean, yeah, the that you we were, were able to turn it that around. Yeah, pretty close to zero, right? Because of that. And fortunately, yeah. the, the uh, founders and CEO and COO had enough foresight to expand beyond just corporate travel to expense management, which goes beyond travel as well. Yeah. Um, for diversification, but that, uh, that pivot that we made certainly was um, uh, very, very um, impactful in the marketplace and in bringing in new customers.
0: Absolutely. You know, so you, you did hit on something, right? And I want to um circle back around to it, right? Uh, You've sold to a lot of different customers and in, in really a, a multitude of different economies of scale, right? And yep. so I'd love to understand, like, when I think about marketing, I think about it as your first line of sales or your first line of, hey, like, your journey with your customer, right? Does the approach ever change when you're um trying to target different clients across different industries? Like, does that ever change or like, how do you approach a new project like that? You're coming in and you're trying to figure out, Hey, who's the persona? How are we going to sell to them? Like, help me through that journey there.
1: Uh, I think, I don't think the basics change and you're spot on where you start. It's who am I selling to? What's the, for me, you say persona. I say ICP ideal customer profile. Who are we selling to? What are their pain points and their challenges? What are the associated negative consequences of those pain points and challenges what is their desired future state and how do we, our product platform or services uniquely help them uh, get rid of those pain points, overcome those challenges and be successful. And so no matter whether you're selling to individual professionals, SMBs, mid market or enterprise, no matter whether you're selling to um, the healthcare industry, the tech industry, retail manufacturing, if you start with a fundamental understanding of your customer and what their challenges are, and how you uniquely solve them, that is the foundation for success for marketing and for a sales and marketing go-to-market.
0: No, I love that. You know, um, so often than not, I hear that marketing is off doing their thing and sales is doing their thing, right? And so, like, let's, let's talk and have a transparent conversation around, like, how do we get these two departments that are so closely aligned? closely, closely aligned and, um, towards that same goal. Cause I know that you've had some great experience in doing that.
1: Well, the thing is like, as you, as you talk about it, it's just common sense, right? Yeah. Marketing needs sales, sales needs marketing and the entire yeah. organization needs both of them working in harmony. Right. And so, so I think that, um, you've got to go into it with a spirit, whether you're on the sales side or the marketing side, of collaboration, of focus around the customer and their success and how can you mm-hmm. combine forces to make those customers successful. Uh, marketing obviously has responsibility for bringing in high quality leads um, and making sure that that uh, sales has those leads and is able to deliver a compelling, interesting story, a vision, like we talked about earlier, that right. speaks to what their needs are in the marketplace, that speaks to um, how they uniquely solve them. And for me, the best marketers do that in in, in B2B in particular, the best marketers do that by starting with capturing emotion, right? And capturing the emotion of the audience and then using the rest of the sales funnel to reinforce that immediate visceral response that the, the customer or prospect had with emotion by way of the rational benefits. And I'll give you an example with DocuSign. When yeah. I was at DocuSign, the CEO, Keith Croc, amazing guy, um, and my CMO, um, we were in a room talking about the fact that um, whenever we would go to a barbecue and we – you know, you say, oh, Tyler, where do you work? I work at so-and-so. When I would say <laughs> – or any of us would say I work at DocuSign, people are like, oh, my god, DocuSign. I love DocuSign. And keep in mind, this is like 2011, 2012, 2013 in that era – And, um, and it it was sort of this immediate visceral response. Well, in digging deeper with people at a barbecue, with sales, with customers, with prospects, what you learned, what I learned was that the, um, you would say, okay, Tyler, well, why do you love DocuSign? And you'd say, oh, my spouse and I got our first house because of DocuSign. Or you talk to a salesperson and and you'd say, why do you love DocuSign? And they'd say, oh, DocuSign helped me win President's Club and exceed my quota. Well, the reality is DocuSign didn't actually help you and your spouse get that Airbnb or your first house. Your loan officer, your real estate agent, your great credit (laughs) score all helped you get that. DocuSign was just the last mile of the transaction. But it was so well built and such a great experience that people gave it this halo effect. The same is the case for sales. Sales uh, a salesperson did not meet their quota, did not uh, go to Presidents Club because of DocuSign. They did it because right. they're a great salesperson. They understand the customer. They can talk to the value to their needs, how they uniquely solve them. They've got a great coach or mentor as a boss, great product market fit, etc. But DocuSign extended their selling cycle to eleven fifty nine fifty nine p.m. on any given. End of the quarter, end of the month, end of the year, right? (laughs) And so there was that last mile halo effect. And when you – as you talk to, to customers or prospects, when you really dug into it, there was emotion there. And it was about the freedom to be able to transact business anywhere, anytime on any device. I can do business from a plane, from a beach. I don't have to be tethered to an office, to paper. And so that was sort of that immediate visceral response at the top of the funnel. And then as you pulled them through the funnel in partnership with sales, you talked about accelerating uh, closing of deals and speed to revenue. You talked about minimizing costs without having to pay for printing, faxing, scanning, overnighting. You talked about delivering a better customer experience and all of those things combined then make DocuSign a fantastic thing for your business. And those rational benefits reinforce that emotional response and get you to a closed one deal.
0: Yeah, 100%. And so how, how do we then replicate those moments, right, where people say, hey, this is what my, you know, it really was it was a problem solved, right? It's like, hey, yeah. this gave me the ability to do all these different things. And so how do you then go to a, to a B2B business and, and help, help recreate that emotion for your, your prospect or your, your ICP as you would call it. Right. Um, how do we do that? Like, and how do we replicate those results?
1: Well, and that's where that partnership between sales and marketing is so critical, right? Sales is at the front line with the customer every day, hearing the objections, hearing the challenges, hearing the pain points, hearing the response to what's being presented in a first call deck Mm -hmm. or uh, in, in response to their telephone call. And so really understanding through sales the customer's perspective, for me, it all comes back to that ICP. And if I'm going into a new business, whether it's one of the tech startups that I'm advising now or if I join a new company, what I'm going to be doing is spending my first 30, 60, maybe 90, although that seems a little bit long amount of time, understanding the customer and understanding yeah. the market and how different competitors in the market solve these, the customer's challenges and problems. And then specifically in partnership with sales and with product, how we solve them uniquely and do it better than anyone else. And ultimately you get to a place in capturing the emotion by talking to the customers, reinforcing it with the, with the rational, where you can talk to a customer and convince them about why they need this space why they need your product in particular and why they can't wait and they need it right now. And that ultimately is the end goal of that partnership between sales and marketing to get that customer to sign up for service. And then obviously customer success comes in and it's helping that customer then get up to speed on the product or platform and be successful and achieve value throughout their lifetime of using the, the product platform or service. Yeah,
0: I love it. I love how you talk about the entire journey of that customer, right? Because you're right. It's not just at the very beginning where they come in as a lead and you continue to nurture them until they become an opportunity yep. and then meet with sales and and being sold, right? Like it's it's the entire thing. It's it's after they're uh, through that process, right? Still having those conversations and and further understanding your customer and how it really performed or how it really um solved their problem because I think right like it's one thing to talk about solving a problem. it's a whole other thing to actually have solved the problem and then talk about that in that perspective. It's a little bit different.
1: Yeah, how great, great leaders in sales in product and marketing think about that entire life cycle from awareness to advocacy, right? So you want right. that customer at the very end uh, in their journey to be advocating with other customers about how great your company is, your product is, your brand is
0: yeah no, I love that and um, how often should customers or like companies be evaluating their i c p um because I think you know the prospect sometimes changes, and a lot of times that can go unnoticed um for a little bit of time, so like how often should should companies be reevaluating the persona and and giving maybe some more light or color to those?
1: Yeah, I think that there's some obvious sort of triggers as to when you would do that. If you're launching yeah. a new product, you want to make sure that new product fits in line with the, the ICP that you've um, worked with in the past. If you're going into a new industry or a new geography, you want to make sure that what you understand of your ICP in terms of their the title, the size of company, the pain points, et cetera, all resonates Uh, as you expand. And then certainly if there are macroeconomic um, factors like a global pandemic that change the dynamics of your business, change the dynamics of the market and or the dynamics of your customer, you should be thinking about revisiting your ICP. And and it may just be that you go through the exercise and you confirm, yes, this is all still valid and current for today. It may also be that like trip actions, you make a change that lasts for what you expect is going to be a month or two that ends up maybe being a year and then ends up being maybe two or three years. But certainly uh, at some point you pivot back or pivot to a new uh, place because that pandemic is is sort of subsided. But I think that uh, great marketers uh, do it regularly. Uh, And and maybe it's not quarterly, uh, but certainly annually thinking about it. Um, and just making sure that you're making tweaks and continually, uh, evolving it as needed with changes in who you sell to the industries you sell in the, um, geographies you're selling to, et cetera.
0: Yeah. You know, so often, um, are not like, you know, I'm meeting with different sales leader and they say, Hey, like this, the leads that we get from marketing are not good. Right. And, and then on the flip side. You know, it's like, hey, well, how did we follow up with those on a, on a sales perspective to know that they're not good? And so, like, why do you think so often and not do, do we hear from sales leaders like, hey, the leads aren't great for marketing, but, like, they're not necessarily doing anything to help adjust or, um, you know, adjust the path yeah. or, like, help inform marketing that, hey, like, these aren't great.
1: Well, I think it starts, again, for you and I, it all comes back to alignment between sales and marketing. And yeah. I think in the case of sales, in the case of leads, it starts with clear alignment on how you score leads, right? And what mm. makes what actually makes a high quality lead. Uh, you know, and I'll give you sort of a simple example. Someone who uh, talks to someone at your booth at a trade show um, and isn't really qualified, but lets you scan their badge, that, that person, your salesperson might follow up and say, oh yeah, I only scanned the badge because you guys were giving out an Xbox and I wanted to win an Xbox for my kid. I don't know what you do. I don't care what you do, right? Versus (laughs) versus actually being at that booth and having a conversation with Tyler about what do you do, Tyler? You know, in that role, where do you, where are you most frustrated? Oh, well, let me talk to you about what we do because we actually solved that challenge really well. Then you're starting to qualify that buyer. Now you scan their badge and get them to win the Xbox. Um, But you've also done some due diligence uh, as as a salesperson or a marketer, because both of us are at those trade shows together, you've done some yep. due diligence that will help then create a, a higher quality lead. Someone who comes to your website and uh, fills out a lead form and wants a demo, that lead is probably going to be h- scored higher than someone who comes to your website and just downloads a general informative paper about the space, right? And yeah. so. Sales and marketing should be meeting to talk through what are all the triggers that could make a lead stronger or that could, on the flip side, make a lead less strong. So as an example, in most of the businesses that I'm in, if a lead comes in from a domain that's a competitor, automatically disqualified now, right? If a lead comes in uh, from Gmail, uh, that lead is scored way lower than a lead that comes in from a domain and one of our target accounts, right? And so you've got to think about those things and how you you score those leads. And, And then that lead scoring then leads to the next conversation about lead routing. Where do those leads go as they get scored? Do they go to... Uh, an outbound team who further qualifies them, or are they high enough lead quality leads that they go directly to a salesperson to follow up with and so yep. I think that having alignment on on those two things in particular goes a long way towards solving uh, the challenges that often happen between you know what you might see in some organizations of finger pointing where sales says these aren 't high quality enough leads marketing doesn 't know from sales' perspective why that 's the case. Um, yeah. Or what they're actually doing with the leads to determine whether they're the right quality or not. So I think having those ground rules in place really help.
0: No, I love that, right? And it's the ground rules that you set with sales. Absolutely. Right? It's not like, hey, I'm just going to provide you with this lead scoring. Like, no, no, I need, I you need know, your buy-in I mean, on you're this lead scoring. Yeah, exactly, yeah. right? Because then that that gives a higher level of a, of agreement there, and that way it's like, hey, these are our
1: scoring parameters.
0: Yeah. If they're not following up at that point, then it's, that is a whole nother. It's our
1: problem then other. if we're not getting yeah. the right leads through versus it's marketing's problem or it's sales problem. No, we've come right. together and we've agreed upon this. And, and what I would say is the, the next steps in that are uh, in terms of that alignment is one um, building out dashboards all the way down to the individual sales leader and their yeah. team around how they're contributing against the shared goals that we've said are important for sales and marketing in our business. Mm-hmm regular weekly meetings between sales leadership and marketing leadership where we're reviewing those dashboards at a high level. We're talking about what's working. We're talking about what are the opportunities. And we're talking and brainstorming about what can we be doing differently? What we ch- what should we A-B test? What should we try? And that yeah. starts to then as those A-B tests, we, we demonstrate certain things are successful. That becomes part of the plan going forward. But it's, it's a whole system of Being aligned and maintaining that alignment by regular check-ins and, of course, the sales leader checking in with their individual team members and making sure their goals are in place that support the overall goals and being able to um, meet with them and review gong calls or, or whatever technology you use to record and review your calls to be able to make sure that you're coaching and developing your sales team. Just as marketing is meeting with your demand gen uh, manager or um, employees to make sure that we're continuing to optimize, A B test, optimize, and, and get better and better with our um, lead generation, whether that's through G2 um, intent data, LinkedIn intent data, yeah. um, all of those sorts of things. Those tools are out there to help us be more successful on the marketing tool side, just as there are tools on the sales side to help sales be more successful. And we come together and be more successful together.
0: Yeah. And have you ever had an experience? Because I think this happens so often, right? It's easy. It's an easy solve when you have an SDR team. But it's speed to lead is so important, right? Like um, a lot of people may not know this, but if you don't listen, you don't reach out back out to a lead within the first 15 minutes, it dramatically decreases. Then within the first you know hour, it dramatically yeah. decreases. Within the first day, you know, shit, you you've done maybe miss your shot, and so. Right. How do you then um, get that understanding to sales to say like, hey, right, you're you're ultimately paid on closed business. But when a high ticket lead comes through, right, like that needs to be a priority.
1: Yeah, you're absolutely right. The longer a lead sits, the colder it becomes. And that's either because you've missed your window of opportunity and they've lost interest or another competitor who they happen to go on their website and submit you know, for a demo request has already reached out to them, already gone through the process and you've lost your opportunity. So again, I think it's, it's, uh, it it comes back to alignment, alignment around what does the lead routing look like? What do we do with leads? What's our pardon the, um, the acronym, but what's our SLA, what's our service level, um, in terms of how quickly sales is going to respond to those leads. And And to your point, it does need to be immediate. And you also need to factor in, uh, how quick your sales process is. If you've yeah. got a five to 12 or 15 day uh, lead to close versus it's, you know, a million dollar year long enterprise deal, you know, yep. there may be some leeway and some flexibility in there in your business model. But the reality is if you're that customer, you want to feel important. You want to feel recognized. And if you've gone out of your way to give your information to a business, you want to know that they care and you want to hear back from them immediately. Even if that customer isn't able to schedule a meet with you for a week, they know yeah. that they're important because you've gotten back to them and you prioritize them.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And so, you know, and if, from a marketing perspective, I think all, I think every person, right? Like, not even just B2B companies, but everyone's getting hit up more often. And more and more often, right? Tools are getting better. So it's allowing us to send more emails. You have so many more auto dialers out there. So we're getting more spam calls. And so how do you bring um, personalization to, the, to that process um, at scale, but then, you know, making sure that you're really targeting the ICP in a way that it's like, it's meaningful,
1: Yeah, you're absolutely right. The amount of noise that everyone experiences, regardless of whether you're in business, you're a consumer, the amount of stuff, like the number of calls that come across my mobile phone that I don't know (laughs) the number and therefore don't pick up, the number of messages I get in on both uh, views of LinkedIn, um, emails, et cetera. It really is, uh, to some extent, unmanageable, right? And, and obviously we have spam filters and things like that that help on the, on the receiving side of that. But on the, on the marketing and the sales side of it, there are tools that you can be leveraging uh, to make sure that you're targeting the right person. So again, LinkedIn, yeah. Intent Data, G2, Intent Data, there's others out there like that, uh, Gartner yeah. Peer Insights. Um, they all help you make sure you're targeting the right person. Uh, you can use lookalike data as well to get at people that are like the right people in your audience. Uh, Mm -hmm. That I think is helpful as well. Um, But you know where that fundamentally breaks down and is flawed? If you don't understand your audience, if you don't understand their needs, it all comes back to your ICP and understanding them and what they need. And then being able to develop a personalized message for them, a personalized sales pitch for them, doing a little bit of research in advance around their company, what space they're in, the industry, uh, you know, what they have, what that particular leader is that, that you're meeting with, what they've recently posted about, those sorts of things to find common ground with your customer and to demonstrate that you put a little bit of effort into it, right? You've gone out yeah. of your way to understand who Tyler is, what's important to Tyler, the business he's in, so that when you're talking, you can actually customize and tailor your pitch or you can customize and tailor your uh, your marketing emails. And obviously, like AI is – Blowing this out of the water with the art of what's possible going forward, absolutely. Uh, space to to not only watch but to seize uh, where it makes sense for your business. For sure, yeah, I can't
0: disagree with you there. You know, uh, so often than not, you know, when I come into a new company, you know, I think I learn more from the customers that say no then the customers that say yes. Right. Like, and so in my first 30 days, I want to get on with customers that said no, and just have a really transparent conversation. Like, Hey, why did you not buy? Like, yeah, I, don't, I don't want to sell you anything right now. Why yeah. did you not buy our product? Like, fact, and did you go with a competitor? Right. Like, cause yeah. I think that tells me even more.
1: When, when I was at T-Mobile, a great example of this, when I was at T-Mobile, my One of the roles of my team was to do all of the internal and external events. And they did yeah. I don't know, 300 and some events a year, ranging from like the first ever concert on Alcatraz, T-Mobile Rocks the Rock to like dealer meetings. Right. And one of the meetings that we did was um, uh, of all first level managers and above. And uh, I would go into a market uh, and I can remember distinctly Las Vegas was where one of our kickoffs was. And Denver was another. I would go into a market a couple months in advance and um, uh, work with a local research company to get customers of at the time, singular, AT and T, Verizon, and T Mobile, of course. And uh, I would I would be behind the you know the. The one way mirror or two way mirror, I would be behind that and we would be asking questions of the folks in the room about their experience, why they uh, selected that carrier, were they considering any others? And I would be taking notes about which customers I wanted to hand pick and put on stage at our event for our the COO I mentioned to interview and sort of extract those stories because at the end of the day, you want to be able to learn from your customers and from your your competitors' customers. So we would do a panel of four customers that were that did that uh, opted for our competitors instead of us, and we do that one first. and And I remember one guy. We asked them not to to mention which competitor they were with, just to respond to the questions. And I remember yeah. one guy when Sue asked him, you know, tell us about your experience and why you selected our competitor. Um, uh, uh, sorry, this was in a uh, tell us your experience and why you selected us over a competitor. and yeah. so he's in the he's in the second session, which was of satisfied T-mobile customers, and we'd always do that second to bring the cloud the crowd back up to a high because you hear a lot of you know feedback and negative stories in the first session, and you want to yeah. bring your audience of employees back up on a high. and so he was he said, well, let me just say your competitor that rhymes with Schme T, and then he went <laughs> off and started talking about what this competitor did in their selling situation. So it was both about hearing from what we didn't do right, what we did do right, also what our competitors didn't do right. All of that was ripe for learning opportunities for and that that um room was customer care, technical care, financial care, retail sales, dealer or third-party sales. And business sales, so all yeah. of those people benefited from learning why customers were choosing us, why they weren't, and why they weren't choosing our competitors. Great insights.
0: No, I love that. I love that. And um, as you think about like those customers that didn't buy, like were there any other insights that you felt like, hey, it was an aha moment, or um, like I'd love to understand. Did were you able to capture things that you maybe necessarily weren't able to get, or Uh, What kind of insight were you able to get from
1: that? Yeah, I would say that plus a really unique program that T-Mobile did at the time, which I'm not sure now, uh, 14 years later, if they still do it or not. (laughs) The company used to require all directors and above in our headquarters or anywhere in the um, nation. And by the way, at that time, we didn't call the the headquarters, the headquarters. It was called the field service center because it was there there in support of whatever the field needed. Um, But everyone in that building that was a director and above, as well as directors in the country had to go to a retail store during holiday season and work as an employee behind the cash register in the store for, it was either three or four days. And every day you got on a call with a um, facilitator who would talk about what you learned. And it was, the reality was it was all about putting you in the shoes of the people that were trying to serve your customers or our customers and and be able to understand what was getting in their way of being successful. And so that, that call, all it was about was this system needs to be reconfigured to be able to do this to make it easier to do that. Um, the marketing materials of the store don't speak to this for the customer and they need to. So all of those opportunities. So when we would get insights from both those focus groups as well as the, the directors working in retail stores during holiday season – about all of the improvements that that we could be doing to make our uh, frontline salespeople more successful, and yeah. and to to uh, sort of emphasize how important that was in the business. As a director, if you didn't successfully go through that program, you didn't get your bonus for the year, your entire annual bonus. Oof. And and I would say any business. That's why you know Gong is successful because you have the opportunity to listen into. Customers and, and what their objections are and, and why they're choosing you or not choosing you and being able to put a, a leader of any function into a role, uh, even temporarily, where they can learn from the customer's experience, whether it's listening to calls in a call center or it's it's um, going on an um, uh, in-person with a prospect and, and being part of that presentation. That stuff is tremendous. Uh, for anyone in the business, but in particular for marketing, because again, gives you an opportunity to make sure what is our corporate narrative? What is our positioning messaging? How well does this align to what our sales team is actually facing with customers in the field? I think it's all gold.
0: Yeah. How important are those types of tools? Right. Because I think from a sales perspective there they're, we think, hey, like they're super important from a coaching and, you know, from a value standpoint, right, to make sure that our sellers are doing what they need to. But from a marketing perspective, it'd be great to hear, like, how impactful all that information is that, like, a gong would give you because, Very. right, it's,
1: Very. okay. <laughs> and it's, the reality is, it it is tough in the um, tyranny of the urgent in your day-to-day to find time to get through all of that stuff and be able to listen to those. But, like, yeah. I can be on a treadmill listening to a gong call and and pick up insights from that, Right. I can be yeah. out walking my dogs listening to a Gong call. I don't have to like so those sorts of things um I think uh give you the ability to do it in your own time and it doesn't have to be live with the salesperson on the call although that's that's valuable as well. Um yeah. but, the, but the insights that again anyone in the business, but in particular marketing can get from those is, is phenomenal. And that's why you often see things like that, those kinds of tools, not just referred to as like sales tools, but they're go to market tools.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what advice would you give to a marketing person out there that, you know, maybe some of the, uh, of the, um, campaigns that they're running just are running flat. Like they're not getting the sort of engagement that they're looking for. Yeah, they're not connecting with their ICP. Maybe you know they're out. They're not getting inbounds, right? Like, and so they're trying to figure out and throwing shit against the wall. But maybe none of none of it's sticking. Like, yeah. what advice would you give to that person?
1: I would I would encourage them to talk directly to customers, prospects, and uh, customers of competitors. Talk directly to salespeople. To really Take to get to the enough, basics. Yeah, to understand what's not working, what's not resonating. Is it, is it the, the copy, the call to action? Um, there could be a variety of things that are driving that. Then also on the back end, looking at who are you targeting? Is it the right ICP? Are you hitting yeah. the right people who actually either have this problem or have the wherewithal to be a business decision maker about this problem? Um, and I think that you know, approaching it from both of those angles and, and then obviously the way out of it then is A-B testing based on the insights you learn from that, uh, those deeper dives to be able to figure out and see where you can move the needle and optimize the work that you're doing. Because the last thing that you want to be doing as a marketer is wasting any of your precious spend on on tactics and strategies that don't work.
0: Absolutely. And it, is it always like a, a multi-touch um, attribution model? Like when I think about sales reaching out to somebody, and if they really want it, right? Like it's like it's email, it's phone, it's um, it's, it's LinkedIn. Hearing, it's hearing the right?
1: speak on a stage and being yeah. And think about your problem differently. It's reading an article that your PR team got placed in Business Insider or Fortune or Forbes or in a developer outlet that that helps. The audience think differently and positions your brand in their mind. It's the email nurtures. It's the website as your virtual storefront. It's everything in concert. And then, and again, it's why you've got to think about it from awareness to advocacy, that entire customer lifecycle and every touchpoint along the way, whether it's marketing or sales or both.
0: Yeah. And so, is it is it truly brand mapping the customer experience in a way that it's like, hey, like we want them to maybe come into this way, but there's maybe different entry entry points.
1: There's uh, definitely for the different, points, different yeah.
0: entry points, but then it's like, hey, how do we nurture this customer through an entire journey and creating a storyboard in that way?
1: Yep, and 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 again, as we sort of talked about the the lead scoring, like yeah, there are different things that demonstrate different levels of intent, right, and actions that they're taking, whether it's. There's, there's one level of intent that is signified by me going in and being like, yes, I will give you my name, I will give you my email, and I want to schedule time for a demo. That's pretty high intent versus uh, we we uh, were able to get your, um, your information because you visited our site and we're now retargeting you, right? There's a different path that you would take with those leads to get them to a place yes. where ultimately they're going to come and say, yes, here's my name, my email, I want a demo.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think thinking about those little things and how um truly understanding like hey, the way we interact with this per, uh person is going to be different than how we interact with this person is key to making sure that the conversion rate um <laughs> completely uh, accurately displays that, right? Like yeah. if you're not if you're not following people following up with people the right way, um if I asked you if you wanted to have Chinese and then you immediately just asked me like, "No, you don't want Chinese, you want Italian." Right? right? Like that wouldn't make sense.
1: Yeah, and, and the reality is we haven't even touched the surface on partnerships between sales and marketing with account-based marketing, right? And having an yeah. identified list of target accounts that sales and marketing have agreed upon and a um, plan with strategies and tactics around how we're going to go after each of those accounts, how we're going to personalize them based on that account. Um, you know, there's, there's just a wealth of opportunities depending on what type of business you're in and what audience you're serving.
0: Absolutely, and so you mentioned um account based marketing, and I think that's so relevant right now. Like, I think you have you have accounts in a few different tiers, right? It's like have to win, want to win, um, and then like be nice to have. Like, how are you then working with the salespeople? Or is it on an individual basis, right? Is it all you know with the the sales leader in that sense, and um making sure that we we focus on these accounts, but like appropriately, right? Like a have to win account maybe is marketed differently to a hey.
1: Yeah, they fit our ICP but like yeah, they yep. they're
0: not a logo that we're going to put on the website.
1: The one I would tell you not to forget, the category not to forget is in yeah. some depending on the organizations it's partner with, partnership with sales or with customer success, but the accounts that we already Ooh. have that we want to grow, right? And using account-based marketing tactics to uh, engage them and get them to adopt more of the product or use more of the product or add more users depending again on your business model. And so, yeah, all of that is, I think is critically important and it's about understanding that specific account and the players within that account through sales's eyes, through marketing's eyes and figuring out a path forward to engage them, whether it's personal invitation to an event, uh, uh, a dinner at uh, an event that we're attending or, or um, exhibiting at, like say, I don't know, AWS reInvent, versus we're doing our own event in a market and that customer happens to be in New York and we're doing a, a get together of customers and prospects and doing that versus sending them some sort of uh, gift or promotional material. Again, it all depends on the business that you're in and what tactics make the most sense. But there is a steady stream of things that you do that you personalize to get in front of that customer for hyper relevancy to advance them through the funnel with in partnership with sales.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I love that. I mean, I think this all comes down to right. And you tell me if I'm wrong, but it's just more conversations, right? It's more, it's openness. It's it's more collaborative, Right, and and if and yep. if you feel like as a leader you're out there and you're like, hey, I don't know what marketing is doing. Ask them. Right, I, I think everybody is wanting to be a part of this process, and the more that we ask and show vulnerability with our partners, um, and our customers, right, like we're going to get to the real answers. We're going to um, be able to get to understand a little bit differently than we maybe would have, yep. And um, to the result that we're really looking for, which is high quality leads, um, that close faster and um, with a better customer experience.
1: Absolutely, yeah. I, I agree with you. It's it's opening up lines of communication. It's being direct, open, and honest in those communications. It's being willing to ask tough questions in a respectful way. And it's being yeah. willing to answer those tough questions, again, in a respectful way that is, at the end of the day, not personal. It's focused on how can we best serve our customers and how can we uh, best grow our business and our revenue.
0: No, I love that. Um, Greg, any additional thoughts that you would live with, leave with the people here today um, or any tips or advice?
1: Yeah, I would go back to uh, what I shared uh, earlier in the conversation, which is uh, whether you're starting out in your career or you're mid or later in your career, you're thinking about changing your career, find work you love, find work you're passionate about, and uh, all the other stuff will take care of itself. Because if you find work you love, it won't be work. You'll enjoy it. You'll do well yep. um, and all the other things that come along for the ride. will.
0: Greg, man, we appreciate the time um, and, and the effort that you put into this. I know that a lot of people are going to get a lot out of this and uh, man, this is just another episode of how the grades do it.